tiny domes. There we go. It's doing. It's moving around. Can you hear everything's going on? There you go. It's moving. It's definitely. I. It was great. Our stories and our frailties, and I think God had that retreat for us to prepare us, just to care for one another a bit more and to serve each other. And I'll talk about what that means. But I have an outline. Usually when I preach, I don't have an outline. I do this like raise a need and I try to stitch it together well. I feel like I just want to give those who want a little bit more handhelds where we're going today. So I'm going to read our passage and it's actually next week's passage and it really spoke to me a bit about the human condition um, that I think will, will help us as we decide to walk with others. And I'll reflect on the human condition as well as God's disposition in the passage. And then I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to reflect on some people in our community that I believe are hurting, that I know are hurting and could use support in different ways, though I don't know the ways that we can support them. Um, I'm going to then read another passage that kind of informs us a bit about life. Again, that's next week's passage and I'm taking for today. And then I'll do a reflection just on life. How's that sound? Okay, great. Um, So marriage, divorce, sex, all that stuff, next week, next week. We are in Matthew's gospel still. And one thing I haven't said is, nearing, we're nearing the ends of Jesus' ministry. We're in the fourth book that Matthew delineates in his gospel. And this, this is a road trip that's happening. He's had most of his ministry happening within uh, Galilee, which is this sea above Jerusalem. Actually, Jerusalem's closer to Dead Sea, and then you go up the Jordan River, and then there's the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus uh, relocates there. His hometown becomes Capernaum. He starts saying with disciples, and he does so many great things. All these healings, all the stuff you see in the movie The Chosen, where he's healing and stuff, a lot of that's happening in Galilee. And and though he's been to Jerusalem a few times, Matthew only talks about one trip, and that's his final trip after three years of ministry, that he does kind of this long road trip. He actually goes to Caesarea Philippi, Bethsaida. There's a map there. Um, You don't have to memorize a map, but maps are helpful. He, He does this... He has his hometown in Sea of Galilee, and then he does this like trip north, and it, it, what ends up being a Gentile outreach, a faith-filled outreach, and then he circles back for a pit stop, I believe, in Capernaum, and then he starts heading south, and we'll see next week that a couple of leaders are sent north to go see what this buzz is all about, to test him, and, and then stuff continues to happen. He's encountered by little kids, and Jesus blesses them. They try to say, don't mess with those kids. He's like, no, I love these kids. Don't hinder kids like these. He encounters this rich man who, in many ways, tries to test Jesus, Um, and he says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law and prophets? He says, yeah, and he repeats them. He talks about honoring mother and father, loving the Lord your God. He doesn't talk about coveting. And then Jesus says, yeah, what you need to do is sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, know that you'll have treasure in heaven, and follow me. And he pinpoints to his heart. And uh, what's missed a lot, what happens in that interaction, is what Peter says after that. Peter says this line. He says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What then will be there for us? And Jesus tells this parable that after that fact that Peter says this. Because what that's pinpointing is sometimes when we follow Jesus, we have an expectation of how life is going to go. We're like, man, I'm following you, Jesus. That means you've got my back. And it feels like doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like God has our back. Tragedy hits, pain hits, and we are disoriented. And Jesus explains very clearly that this kingdom living requires a lot of sacrifice and a lot of trust, especially in the dark nights. 
And he tells this somewhat confounding parable that is only found in Matthew's gospel. And that is what I want to read to us today as we reflect a bit on the, the human condition and when things go wrong, how do we react, okay? So I'm going to read that right now. You can stand if you want to, if you're physically able. You don't have to, out of respect for God's word. It's Matthew 20, verses 1 through 15. And it reads like this. For the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius. Your footnote basically states a daily wage. That's what a denarius is. For the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day? all day long doing nothing because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you, agree, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious or are you envious because I am generous? That's God's word for us. You may have a seat. Now, there are ways that you can preach this passage that reflect Jesus' inclusion of the Gentiles and Jesus' work through Israel and the disciples. And I've heard this passage preached in the past in a typical, how are we doing? Okay. I've heard this passage preached in the past, and usually it comes along with a statement like this. Hey, God is not fair, but God is good. God is not quote-unquote fair. And, and the way that message would go is there would be some points about human Humanity's misconceptions of fairness, of what is fair, and our inability to see, and that is so true, and we're going to talk about that, and there will be a familiar closing, which is true, that I'm all for, that God is good and doesn't give us what we deserve. That's the goodness of the gospel, but instead offers us the gift of eternal life, God's presence, a community who is with us. All that matters. That matters. And the context, I believe, for that message really applies to those who are doing okay. Like, that's a good message for us to receive. I mean, the workers are still working in the vineyard. They're still doing okay, yeah. Like, they've got pay. They feel a bit slighted. They do. But generally, they're doing okay. If I were to preach a message for someone who's experiencing tragedy, this would not be the message I would preach. It would not be it. 
That message belongs to a simple verse, John eleven thirty five, that simply says, and if you know it, we'll say it out loud in a second. Jesus wept. That's the message I would preach to those in tragedy. I want to make that clear as clear can be. There is a mystery in tragedy that we have an all-loving and all-powerful crucified Savior who is with us weeping in the pain. And I cannot unpack that mystery. That is the truth. When pain and tragedy comes, Jesus wept. Well, then why did you just read that weird passage in Matthew 20, Andy? Why did I do that? Well, I, I believe it actually tells us a bit about our own human condition when life seems unfair and when tragedy comes up that I think will help us as we seek to walk with others who are in pain. And I also say that. So this message is kind of directed toward those who are walking with others in pain because in our church we have people who are in pain. And for the, well, actually, there are people in pain here right now, and so I want to be compassionate to us, but this is a message for us as we walk with others. Make sense? All right, I'm trying to be clear. This passage highlights a few things about the human condition, particularly verses 12 and 13. And the first point is this, is that we have to understand there are things we cannot understand. In life, we have to understand, paradoxically, that there is much that we cannot understand. There is stuff that we cannot understand. Whether, when things go wrong, we through our own divine insight, whether our own lives or others, and I say divine insight, is we, we, we don't have it all the time. We try to rationalize why things went wrong. We try to create a cause and effect scenario to tragedy. When, when most of the time it's a tragedy, sure there are things that have causality. Bad things happen. People make dumb decisions, bad things happen. There's a cause and effect. But even those come with their own scenarios of what ifs. What ifs. A lot of times, there is not causality. And, and, and I think there's something highlighted in this passage about the workers trying to figure out the cause and effect of what's going on here. Oh, he's giving them the same amount we get because he's unfair. That's what they've come up in their mind. And really, they just can't understand it. I mean, the narrator tells us that God's generous, and we know that because we get a behind-the-scenes look. But the workers are like, they're trying to figure it out, and they don't have it. They don't understand it. There's a mystery that's going on here. These who were at last only worked one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you. We have to understand there's a lot we don't understand. God is finite, or, and God is infinite, and we're finite. We don't have everything in view. We can't understand the complexities of the brokenness in this world and the tragedy that ensues filled with broken people making broken decisions and also filled with random tragedy. We can't. Isaiah 55 says, God's ways are not like our ways. We don't have a comprehension of what's happening. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't get it. I mean, one of the first books in the Bible is about this reality. Job was written early on about the mystery of pain and suffering. And the issue is, is when we try to make sense of things that aren't sensible, we end up hurting others. That's the implication for this. As we walk with others in their pain, we have to resist trying to make sense 
of every tragedy. We have to resist saying things that try to make sense of that which is sucks rather than just sitting in the suck. That's the first implication that just spoke to me and I read this passage. It's like, we try, to make, we try to make sense of it. Some of the best things you can say to people who are in tragedy is, I have no words. I don't know what to say. That can be very comforting. Second thing I realized, and I've done this, by the way, but it's just it's very imperative as we walk with others in a long journey, is we tend to compare our journeys with others. It's like really natural because we, we are living in our own shoes and that's what we know is to compare our journey with others, to compare our present pain or past pains with others' present pain and past pain. Oh, I know what you're going through. We don't. Every situation has a unique s- scenario. I mean, that's what they're doing in this passage. Those who were hired last worked only one hour. Is that really true? Weren't they outside all day working for work? And what did they know about that person's life who was waiting to be hired? Did they have the same skills? Maybe they had a handicap. Maybe they'd been out of work for a long time. Maybe they had so many more people to provide for in that parable. We don't know other people's journeys, but we can create narratives when we compare. Oh, these people have it so good, and we don't. The truth is, the mystery of any one person's life And any one person's tragedy is way too profound or immense, again, to be understood by any other person. So we therefore have to resist comparing when we walk with others. We have to resist comparing. A last word about this passage before I talk about our community and then talk about another passage. The last word is, where is the farmer in all this? Where is the farmer here? Well, the farmer's the one who has invited us into his vineyard. And it's not an easy calling. There's still work to be done. But there's fruit that comes as a result of that work. The farmer also is out pursuing others who feel like they're on the outside. He's pursuing others who feel like they're alone. Pursuing others who are dealing with fatalism and futility and pain. Who are sitting also in the hot sun or standing looking for work. That's where God is. And that's the same God who weeps in pain. This is, yeah, it's a different passage. I wouldn't preach it um, in a funeral. I wouldn't preach it to somebody. But the truth is God is seeking others. Greg actually, Greg Gunn, he's the singer guy, middle, harmonica. He preached a, a message a few weeks back about those in fear and uncertainty and doubt, those who are dealing with their own tragedies and pain. And there was like some good points for us to take hold of as we discuss that, that God is with us wherever we go, that God's with us in the pain, and that God can and will carry us through tragedy. And the indirect fruit of that can be growth and compassion. God gives us hope that death is not the last word. And from those three realities, and there's more I'm sure I'm missing, is there's implications for us to be like the farmer. I mean, work in the vineyard to be like the farmer. To be with others. God is with us wherever we go. Our call is to be with others. God can and carry us, can and will carry us through tragedies. Yeah, we need to hold others in their pain. Literally hold them. If they don't want to be held, that's fine, but to be with them. And then to remind them, even though we don't get it, there will be a brighter day. 
there will be a better day. And sometimes we just remind them that, of that through our consistent presence. Amen? I'm preaching this to myself. Uh, and if you're new here, this is where things are going to turn, and you're going to realize, Adam and Emily, because I know everybody else, if you're new here, I know Emily a bit, you're going to kind of see the kind of church we are. We're like a small church. You can't really hide. You won't hide. We want to know you. We want you to know us. We're really glad you're here. Adam went up. And, um, and yeah, we want, we want to make sure your daughter knows she's loved by God. Um, but you're going to witness how much we love each other. And I'm just going to go through some people in our community who are in a bit of a sea of grief so that the Holy Spirit can bring to us ways that we can support them. All right? Okay. So I'm going to do my best to share a few stories of people who are hurting my community. And please know this, that I was given full permission to lead. I didn't, I, I um, probably will cut this out of the podcast because I don't know if I, I don't feel full permission to put it. Oh, you can keep it on and we can cut it. Actually, you know what? Cut it. All right, we're back, and we have just shared about a few people's stories, people that we love so much in our community, Maureen, Mary, Jared Showerman's uh, best friend's wife, Mo, and then Jared Coleman and his son, Max, and Hillary. And uh, there are more stories. There are definitely more stories to share. That is the issue and the reality that in this world, We'll have trouble, but we have to take heart that Christ has overcome the world. And there's a, something that Jesus says uh, after this passage that really is helpful. And it helps us figure out our framework for what the world is. He says, after telling this parable, he says in Matthew 20, verse 17 through 20, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. In many ways, this is a framework for our life in general. It is also a framework for the way that we grieve. Death, burial, resurrection... Another way to state it is orientation, disorientation, reorientation. This is thematic within scripture. It's thematic to life. Jesus names that this is the type of life that we will have if we follow him. And it helps us understand grief in many ways. That um, we will experience pain, loss, and suffering. We will have a period of waiting for God to bring new life. This is uh, Holy Saturday. This is a theology of the tomb after Good Friday. And on that Holy Saturday before Easter Sunday, we just wait for God to do the deepest work within the winter of our souls. And this is part of life. It helps us understand how to grieve, how to grieve with others, and how to deal with brokenness. And part of it's understanding. It is volitional where we lay down our lives to find our life. And part of it is just the brokenness of this world filled with people and broken decisions and also seemingly random tragedy. It's a framework for life. It's a framework for life. It's a framework that's thematic 
in the Psalms and in Scripture. But I, I want to look a little bit more as we hone in just on grief, what grief can be. Um, a lot of times in the beginning when people experience loss, their shock, it's just like, what? Uh, there's denial. There can be blame, blaming yourself, blaming others. There can be their own sense of bargaining. And uh, a lot of those things are just natural. It's natural, and, uh, but we, some people can stay stuck in there. And uh, the truth is, uh, there can even be contempt uh, when it comes to blame. And uh, there is true anger that is needness, needed. And I actually think, again, this is not formulaic, but as, as we've become to realize this loss is indeed true, then comes the sadness and the anger and the sadness and anger, whether it's at God, which is totally okay. God can take it. God receives it. Uh, anger at yourself. And then loss. And I think a lot of times we think that after we realize there's a loss, that we somehow move to acceptance. Like, oh yeah, okay, I'm accepting this loss and therefore there's probably some acceptance which moves us to resurrection. Um, but the truth is there's this time in between that really cannot be um, calculated. It can't be calculated. Um, it's the burial. It's, it's when you experience just the weight, which comes with its own sense of emptiness, vulnerability, a lack of energy, a lack of life, sometimes a lack of desire to live. Food doesn't have taste. And I, I can't calculate how long that'll be for people. Remember, we can't compare, and we don't know. But that is where the church needs to be for people. I mean, the church needs to be in every aspect of it, but we definitely need to be in that place because that's where God is doing God's deepest work. That God does a work in the winter of our souls. And yeah, there will be a time where there's new acceptance and new love and new joy that happens for others. I truly believe that. I believe it'll happen on this side, if not the next. But the landscape has also changed for people's lives. Lives are different. They're a bit different. Everybody's a bit different. And I just wanted to focus again on that last side about that middle space where we need to be there for Jared and Hillary and for one another. And it, it, it may not be a comfortable space. You may not know what to say. But again, that's where we go back to the reality is we just need to sit with others. Just sit with them in their pain. And I think that's where a lot of people experience the faithfulness of God. Um, and that's, we'll wait together until the sun rises. And uh, that's kind of my message. Uh, my next steps are simply this, is to reach out to someone you know here, check in on them. It's kind of what we talked about in the retreat. Um, to listen. And as you pray, whether it's out loud or in the silence of your hearts to pray for God's kingdom to come. And that reminded me this morning, I was like, hey, if you're going through something, fill out a connection card so we can be praying for you. We want to pray for you. And I misspelled you. I'm a big misspeller. I know you guys see my emails and you're like, this guy's emails are so, someone can spell check it. 
This is the reality of a small church. Yeah. Oh, it's good. You. Okay. Good. So I'm just going to take this moment to invite the band back up, and I'm going to pray one more time. Does anybody feel called to pray for Jared? Kim, you can pray. Any, Larry? Okay, cool. Anybody else? This is like an all skate. Okay. So Kim, you're going to dial. That means you'll start first. Larry, you're going to be in the middle, and then Tony, you'll hang up, okay? All right, so just pray it up. Amen. Thank you, Kim.